Welcome, everybody, to Encounter Church. Welcome at our uh, Fulton Heights location as well. Glad to be worshiping as one church in several locations as well. Uh, hey, when you came in today in, uh, at either Fulton Heights or here at Kenwood, you'd have been handed one of these, uh, an invite card to our fall launch. On the back is a free meal, a voucher meal from one of our many food trucks that's going to be at both locations on September 12th. And, uh, and I just, I want to highlight that, that these cards, if you're here, if you're here today, these cards aren't necessarily for you and for me. These are tools. This is a silly excuse for you to walk across the street or walk across the job site or the cubicle next door and say, hey, my church is having a party and we would love to have you come. So you can pick one of these up at the starting point at both of our locations or at the greeters area on your way out. Uh, today we're, uh, we're moving into the series and, and this is where I want to start right here. Uh, I want to invite you to remember when you first learned how to ride a bike. So just a quick show of hands. How many of you remember that moment uh, when you learned how to ride a bike? A few of you, yeah. Uh, many of you, right. I, I, remember, I remember not learning how to ride a bike. I remember trying to learn how to ride a bike. I remember my dad taking, a, taking me to the church parking lot across the street and, uh, and tying like his big leather belt around my waist and, uh, and, and, and going and him saying faster, faster and me saying slower, slower. And I remember that, that sinking feeling of, of when you're first going over and him grabbing the back of that belt and like hoisting me up. It felt like I was being cut in half. <laughs> but looking back, I don't remember a single time that he let me fall. I want us to remember what it's like to learn how to ride a bike because this is probably one of the most counterintuitive things that you can possibly attempt as a human being. Like I said, I don't remember how to, uh, I don't remember the moment I learned how to ride a bike. I do remember teaching my son how to ride a bike. We had the same dynamic. <laughs> We're across the street on a sidewalk. He's gripping the handlebars. I'm gripping the back of his seat. I'm saying, son, go faster, go faster, more speed, more speed. And he's saying, no, no, dad, slower, slower, less speed, brake. He's braking. I'm pushing him ahead. There's like a tire skid along the back. I'm very tired at this point. It's good exercise. I need it. Don't feel bad for me. Every instinct in his body is telling him, don't go faster, go slower. Every instinct in his body is telling him to resist the bike. Insist on keeping your feet planted squarely on the ground. It's the most counterintuitive thing we can possibly learn as adults. Those of you who have mastered the art of riding a bike know that it's just this one word that everything connects, everything clicks. When we get this one idea... It's simply called surrender. When we can surrender ourselves and our bodies to the bike, when we surrender to having our feet off the ground on the pedals and going faster, everything is easier. In fact, it opens up worlds of possibilities. I'm out there every day with my son, pushing him down the sidewalk, and I want him to know the world that's in front of him. I want him to know a world of, of biking to friends' houses. I want him to know a world 
of bike trails and paths. I want him to know a, a world of, of going to the ice cream store just down in a round of corner, just out of walking distance, but certainly within biking distance. There's a whole world out there. But as long as he insists on having it his way, he's going to get in the way. We're talking about prayer this morning. A part two of our series, You're Doing It Wrong. And for those of you who are guests to invite you in on the series, what we're doing is we're taking an honest look at those times when it feels like when we pray, our prayer isn't necessarily breaking through the drywall of the ceiling. And we're honestly looking at that and saying, maybe it feels that way because it is that way. Maybe there's possibly something that we're doing wrong when we pray. And so what we're doing is we're taking a look at three bad prayers, three wrong ways of praying. Now, I want to I invite you, I want to tell you the the basis, the foundation of this series is the words you say matter less than if you pray. So even if you're worried about praying a wrong prayer, I don't want that to be the barrier to you simply going to God and telling him what's on your heart. The words you say are less important than if you pray. Last week we kicked off and we said, listen, if you want to get better at this, it takes trying. It takes getting on the bike again and again and again. Text uh, pray daily to 94,000 and we'll send you a daily reminder at around noon every single day. And about a hundred of you have, and I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Um, more than that, I started hearing replies when I'm like contact, when I'm calling people, and, uh, and the replies are like, it's the wildest thing. Uh, every afternoon, I just get all of these texts from friends of mine saying that they're praying for me. <laughs> what a divinely appointed coincidence. I love that. When you pray, the words you say are less important than if you pray. But when you pray, three wrong prayers. Last week, we kicked it off with a performance kind of prayer. Remember the, the tennis balls, Andre Agassi, uh, number one in the world in both 95 and 99, his dad rocketing those tennis balls at him at 110 miles an hour. He's seven years old. Later in life, having a breakdown, talking to a pastor in his white Corvette when the pastor says, you know, God is nothing like your father, right? In fact, he's the father that you need. He's a better dad than you could ever have asked for. He's nothing like your dad. He is not a performance-driven, slay-the-dragon-at-all-cost kind of transactional God. It's time for us to replace our performance prayers with a relational prayer, our Father. And next week, we're looking at, at stain-remover prayers. You'll want to. Don't want to miss that one. Today, we're looking at the most, the most common kind of prayers that we pray wrong. I call these gimme prayers. God, gimme, gimme, gimme. A gimme prayer is almost indistinguishable from the list your kids send to the North Pole every Christmas season. These are the things I'm looking for, God, gimme, gimme. Give me a parking space, give me a promotion, give me a pumpkin spice latte. One more time, this fall sweater weather is coming. I feel it. I need it. Give me, give me, give me. Give me prayers often comes, often come in, in three different forms. Uh, God, give me protection, give me pardon, give me provision. I think this is a wrong way to pray. Let's get that out. But it's easy for me to tell you to not ask for bad things, things that will separate you from God. It's a bigger ask to acknowledge 
the times when we go wrong in praying a gimme prayer is not asking for bad things. It's when we ask for very good things. And we just replace those good things with the ultimate things. God, give me protection. If not protection from me, protection from somebody that I love dearly. It is painful when our bodies fail us. It is exponentially more painful when the bodies of the little ones near us fail them. And to see a little one in a very large hospital bed, give me protection, give him protection, give her protection, God, do something. Give me pardon, God, give me forgiveness again. Why is it that we hurt the ones that we profess to love the most? Is it a proximity thing? Just in our anger? over something that happened earlier and just unleashing that on the people around us? Is it that we know exactly what the words to say or not say because such a small amount of word count can inflict such an incredible amount of damage? God, pardon me, forgive me one more time. God, give me provision. Give me just one, give me a year. God, give me sixth grade, an uninterrupted school year. Give me my freshman year of college. I've delayed a year on this already, God. Give me pardon. Give me protection. Give me provision. Give me, give me, give me. Jesus speaks into our give me prayers. And he has a way of doing this. And like turning the whole idea of prayer upside down. And, and if we're aware of it, it opens up an entirely new world of possibilities. Uh, let's go there. We're going back to the passage I introduced to you last week in Matthew chapter 6. You can follow along on the Bible app. That's what I love to use. You can also follow along in a paper Bible. We're going to Matthew 6, and we're, uh, and we're picking it up where we left off last week in verse 9, where Jesus says, okay, we've talked about how not to pray. This then is how you should pray. And he begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is so infinite but also intimate. Our Father who is beyond comprehension and also right there beside us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed and holy is your name. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom your will, your kingdom and your will, when I have my resources, my relationships, my time, my talents, my treasure, my schedule, my plans, my plans and your kingdom, my resources and your will. Some of you, I, I wouldn't blame you if you echo the words of my son riding to learn, learning to ride that bike going, whoa, 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 slow down, Jesus. This feels counterintuitive. I'm not sure... I'm not sure I can get with you on this, on this your kingdom and your will. Hold on here. But even, even, even as we're like learning how to pray, like riding a bike and have it be so counterintuitive, isn't it also true that we know that if we could get this, if we could wrap our minds around the your kingdom and your will, like most of us, we know that there is a new world of possibilities. 
that may or may not involve the ice cream store store down the corner, the new world of possibilities, we look at it in the people around us. God, I want you to do for me what I've seen you do in them. God, I have watched somebody go in for chemo treatments weekly, and it's literally wrecking their bodies a treatment at a time, destroying everything, scorched earth, and they walk out in gratitude for what they have. That's a world of possibilities that I want to see in my own life. We look at the Bible, we look at the characters, the stories, the people in the Bible. God, I want for me what you did for Peter. How, how do you take a guy who's afraid of his own shadow, who runs away and he's found lying to a little girl because he's afraid of her and what she can do? Stand up a couple of weeks later and declare boldly the message of Jesus died and resurrected from the dead in that same city he was afraid of. I want the world of possibilities that you did for Peter, that you did for John, that you did for James, the brother of Jesus. God, whatever it did for you to convert the younger brother of Jesus from unbelieving that his older brother is the son of God to now leading the church in Jerusalem and willing to lose his own life for that belief, I want that power in my, I want that power in my life. I want this world of possibilities to open up to me. And the key to getting there is that word one more time, surrender. Stop resisting the bike. Stop insisting on having our feet firmly planted on the ground. The key in getting there, somehow, is is moving from insisting on my way to getting out of the way. Jesus. Jesus continues on. And as we do, I want us to point something out. I want us to see an irony in our belief about prayer. I want to offer you a disclaimer in our prayer. But first, what I want to do is I want to offer you a definition of prayer. As we talk about surrender, it's bristling at the thought. Prayer is not getting what we want when we want how we want it. Prayer is not viewing God as the celestial concierge in the sky whose sole reason for existence is to make our stay on this blue marble as comfortable as possible. Prayer. The purpose of prayer is to surrender my will, not to impose it. See, oh no, the irony of prayer? The the irony of this thing right here? is that I I would bet that up to half of our give me prayers, up to half of our rescue kind of prayers, our, our bail me out of this kind of prayers, are the result of not figuring this thing out ahead of time. Like how often is it true that we're asking God, we're praying to God to bail us out of something that we behaved our way into? Like if we could have gotten this surrender thing, 
on the front side instead of the, the back end of the deal, how many of our prayers would just be unnecessary because we would have avoided it? How many financial collapses, and God bail me out of this one one more time, are the result of not simply surrendering our finances, not simply surrendering our relationships to God in the first place? It's the irony is that if we could if we figure this thing out ahead of time, so much of prayer wouldn't just be, wouldn't even be all that necessary. Uh, the disclaimer, though. The disclaimer is that Jesus is about to ramp this thing up several notches, and as he does, I want you to know that you already know this. Like, you, you get this. Because I'll say things like, God isn't a cosmic vending machine just ready to accept your prayer dollar bills and spit out whatever beverage or snack that will satisfy you in that moment. Like, we, we, we get that. But then we have a request, and we go to God, and we say, God, but get, give me. But just help me out with this thing, would you? I, I think that we understand this already. Because most of us, when presented that option of what if God could be that ATM in the sky that's just here to serve you, most of us kind of understand that that wouldn't be enough. Like we've tried running our own lives and we got into a mess of it. And there's not like a, a bailout that we could use. We need more. We need an absolute, complete renovation, transformation of our hearts, of our lives. Most of us understand that if God becomes that cosmic concierge, it actually puts God beneath us. And the last thing that we need when life is falling apart is to look up and have nobody above us. Nobody who's wiser. Nobody who's stronger. Nobody who's more powerful, more miraculous. That's the last thing. We, we, we get this already, but in the moments of tension, we take back, we claw back, we resist the bike, we put our feet back on the ground, and we insist on having it our way, and we get in the way. We lose the world of possibilities in front of us. Jesus, though, continues on in verse 11, and he teaches us a prayer. Jesus pivots to the place where we started from. Jesus starts with your kingdom, your will. We start with give me. He pivots to give me. We pivot to surrender when everything else fails. Jesus starts at the place, pivots to the place where we started. Give us today our daily bread. Give me, give me, give me bread. For today, if you're listening to this story as one of Jesus' original listeners, how he said it and how it was received, I can't imagine as a person living in the time around Jesus that they don't immediately go to the place where daily bread meant the most. I imagine they, they instinctively go, Old Testament, we're going to the book of Exodus, we're going to the time God pulled his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, he's He's going to Canaan, a land that they promised him. It's like a two-week journey that turns into a 40-year pilgrimage, right? Just hanging out in nowhere, hanging out in the wilderness, hanging out in the desert. And every day, they have to walk out of their tents and hope and, and learn to expect to see God's provision in, in, in the form of well, I don't know what, and they don't know either, which is why in the Hebrew language, they, they named it manna, which literally translates to what is it? I don't know. I don't know, but we're out here. 
And apparently there's this dust that you can smush together and I guess kind of make a cake out of it and and it'll keep you alive for that day only. And every day this repeats itself. I don't think that God was simply trying to keep his people alive. I think he was I think he was shaping them. I think he was forming them. I think that God's act in the desert for those 40 years, providing them just their daily sustenance, daily bread, is God's caution to say, someday you will come into a place where you will have more than enough. And so right now, for this season, for these 40 years, I want to teach you how not to confuse the provision with the provider. How not to confuse the manna with the maker. Someday you'll come into a place where you will live in homes that you didn't build. You'll harvest vineyards you didn't plant. And I don't want you in those moments to plant something in the ground, to harvest it a season later, and to say, I was the one who made it grow. God says, more than I'm giving you provision, I'm teaching you surrender. Surrender to me each and every day. It will make a life of a difference, a generation of a difference. I don't want you to be the person who goes to work and says, I got this job. I crushed this job. I made those sales. And I am sufficient all on my own. God says, I don't want that from you. I don't want you to confuse the provision with the provider. I want you to stay close to me, not the benevolent gifts from my hand. Most people probably go there. When Jesus teaches them to pray, it's a surrender prayer. It's manna, daily, daily bread. An astute student of the Bible, listening then, and also here today, might might remember another story, a a proverb. Some of you have heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. She gets up before dawn. She sells her goods in the marketplace. She debates the city leaders at the gates in the afternoon and evening. She takes care of her family. She does it all. There's a Proverbs 31 woman. How many of us knew? There's also a Proverbs 30 man. We're about to hear a prayer that I think few of us in the room would dare to get down on our knees and earnestly ask for. This is about the most un-American prayer that I could possibly present to you. This should, come, this should come with a trigger warning, like this is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Proverbs 30, verse 8. The Proverbs 30 man says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only, and we see almost verbatim, my daily bread. The guy, the Proverbs 30 guy, gets down on his knees and this is what he says, God, keep lies, keep falsehoods from me that we get. God, keep poverty far from me that we get. And also riches, 
Give me just a little more than just bread just for a day? He's essentially, he gets down and he's praying, God, don't make me dirt poor. God, don't make me filthy rich either. What? One more verse, verse 9, the one that comes after. Otherwise, he explains, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. There is something remarkably self-aware of the Proverbs 31 gentleman. He understands that when he becomes financially poor, when he doesn't hit his, his target this quarter, I'll start ripping people off. I'll lie. Not to get ahead, I'll lie to get back even. I know me. It's like spiritual drift happens in financial poverty. Spiritual drift happens in health poverty. Spiritual drift happens in relational poverty. Drift happens when we are without. God, I know me and I know my heart and I know the places and the people to whom I go when I get lonely, sick, and broke. Keep those things from me. It's a surrender prayer. I'm not good on my own. Take the keys of my life. I'd rather you drive it than me. I know me all too well. It's a surrender prayer. I know what happens when I'm broke. I know what happens when I'm rich. When I have the best quarter, when things are going well, when I have a million and one distractions in my life, drift happens as well. Affluence is not a friend to faith. Oftentimes, it's an enemy of it. We would be wise to realize that. God, give me today neither poverty nor riches. I know me and what you can do, the best thing that you could do for me, God, is just to give me bread just for today. Keep me close. Close to the provider, not close to the provision. I know me. It's a surrender prayer. You see what it does? It, it's asking for change. Not in the circumstances, not in the situation, but from the, for the prayer. You, don't, you know who, who got this? to a scary level. That night that Jesus was betrayed, I like Matthew's telling of it in 26, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus goes to his favorite place in the world, and he created it. He goes to his favorite place. He goes to a garden, outdoors. He goes to Gethsemane. He kneels down. He prays to his father, and he knows what's about to happen, and he loathes what's about to happen. He goes to his father, and he says, I don't want to die. I don't want to be in pain. 
I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to be whipped. He goes to his father in heaven in the garden of Gethsemane just before he's arrested. And he says, God, take this cup from me. Now, medieval English scholars, fun fact, started to soften this and started to use a little lighter, more, more passive language. Like, like, if you would, please be willing to have this cup pass for me, a very passive language. But no, let's live, let's live in the tension that exists in the text that Matthew wrote. No, he looked up to heaven and he said, God, take this cup from me. God, give me a reason not to have to go through with this. God, change the circumstances. In Luke's telling of it, he gets down and he prays so hard and he prays with such intensity. Luke says that it was almost like his sweat was like drops of blood off his forehead down into the soil below. That's how badly he wanted, he wanted God's outcome. And then in a moment, it's like everything changes. In a moment, he goes out with his disciples and they're about to be afraid. They're about to run. We heard Peter's about to deny knowing him to a little girl. John Mark runs naked. That's funny, probably for time for another uh, story for another time. Everybody runs and flees. That's understandable. But, but Jesus, Jesus looked at the, the very act that he loathed the moment before. And he looks at his disciples and he says, with confidence, rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. His circumstances didn't change. But God changed something inside of him. Sometimes, I would say most of the time, God is about to change you before he changes your circumstances. Jesus lifted up his prayer to the Father. Yet, not my will, but yours. Thy will, not my will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a surrender prayer. My son <laughs> eventually figured out how to ride a bike. I remember the precise moment when he started pedaling on his own, when he stopped resisting the bike, stopped insisting on his own way and dragging his own feet and getting in his own way. When he stopped saying, slow down, no more, and started saying, faster, faster, faster. My wife was there to snap a picture of it. This is me huffing it to try to keep up with him. His face, if you could look closely, is like half terror and fear. He's on the brink of tears and also laughing and giggling along the way. I was yelling, go faster, more speed, more speed. He's yelling in this picture, I got lots of speedy, Dad. I got lots of speedy. He's flying around the corners. I'm falling further and further behind. The last thing I hear before he goes around the corner is, which way to the ice cream store, Dad? Surrender. There's a world that's waiting for us. If we stay close to the provider, even over and above the provision, surrender if we pray, not my will, but thy will be done.
Last week, we replaced our performance prayers with a relational prayer, our Father. This week, we're replacing a gimme prayer with a surrender prayer. God, this is all I ask for. Just bread, just for today. You know better than I what I need. Open up a new world. Let's pray to him right now. Let's ask him to open up that whole new world. God, we pray this in the name of your son. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who so long ago knelt down in a garden and begged you to take away this cup of pain, this cup of death. But God also, in his humanness, led the way led the way to show us what surrender looks like. Not my will, but thy will be done. God, I pray for somebody who's struggling this week, going to work tomorrow, going back to school tomorrow, getting along with people. I pray for the one who's looking for provision around each corner to have the confidence in health, in finances, in relationships, to say, not my will. But God, open up a world of possibilities as I stay close to you. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.